Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I'm fortunate to have Jason Richter, who is the managing principal of Capricorn Retail Advisors, a very active real estate advisory firm and leasing brokers for both tenants and owners. Jason has also been involved with Capricorn since 2014, and prior to that, has been involved with 2,500 deals and responsible for north of a billion dollars in aggregate real estate transactions all over the world. Very happy to have Jason today. Thank you so much for having so, me, Michael. So, you know, what is really happening in the retail segment? You know, people look at it, they say retail is dead. But recently, there have been some very positive articles out there. Rumors of uh, retail's death are greatly exaggerated. So the retail market, I think, more broadly, has been pretty robust coming out of COVID. Obviously, 2020, initially, it seemed like it was pretty much dead. Uh, and before that, e-commerce had major downward pressure on the markets. But I think we saw the resilience of retail. And today, in the better markets, the quality markets, I think it's as robust as it's ever been. The demand definitely outweighs the supply. Speaking of quality markets, let's talk about Madison Avenue since we discussed it the other day. Madison is, uh, and again, when we talk about Madison, we're probably focusing mostly 57th Street on up into the 80s. You've seen a lot of great movement, ton of new deals. Um, Van Cleef, we've got uh, Valentino taking five floors, the, uh, the, the Hermes. You've got a lot of great momentum. And again, it's probably a block-by-block situation. So in the lower 60s, that's where the majority of the gravitas is with the luxury brands. And then as you go north, you're dealing in a bit more of the contemporary and the aspirational luxury. There are a few blocks that maybe there are a bit of of a lull. And I think that might be because of the side of the street or perhaps a few vacancies has stigmatized it a bit. But large in part, the demand on Madison has come back in a pretty significant way from what we saw in the mid, you know, twenty the mid twenty fifteen to twenty nineteen when Madison Avenue rents went from eighteen hundred down to to less than half, and in certain cases they've they've kind of restarted at about three hundred dollars a foot. Let's talk about Soho. Soho, one of the first to bounce back from the uh, the, the you know whether it was the recession, whether it was the pandemic. Soho remains strong. It is probably the New York neighborhood when retailers are looking at New York and they want to plant the flagship. A lot of the momentum has moved from uptown, whether it's Fifth or Madison, to downtown. I think it's just a cooler kind of environment, and you've got critical mass of retail and the streetscapes um, with the buildings and, and the cobblestone streets. It, it, it's really a remarkable market. So, With regard to both of these markets, the Madison Avenue and the Soho, what are the rents today? as compared to prior to COVID? So Broadway and Soho, which is more of a mall-like environment, I think you're probably in the 400s. Um, We saw a few deals that were less and maybe a deal or two that might be creeping up higher, but that's really where that's stabilized. And then when you go to some of the side streets, whether you're looking at the Springs and the Princes, um, you know, there are deals on Spring that are, you know, way north of 600, closer to $800 a foot. And then, of course, each uh, of the thoroughfares like Mercer and, um, and anything else, for that matter, really has its own dynamic green. One may be more luxury, one may be more contemporary. But more or less, you're looking at a probably a $200 spread, and that would be West Broadway, which is the weaker part of Soho, all the way up to $1,000 a foot. And Madison, I think you're probably 
um, again, starting in that two to three hundred dollars a foot, and then going up to north of a thousand dollars a foot. What about the suburban? I know you're rather knowledgeable of the suburban market, coupled with the fact that certain of them have been repurposed. So, we do a lot throughout the country, and um, the suburbs during the pandemic really, really rebounded strong because people were obviously working from home and staying at home. So whether it was food, and that could be grocery, uh, drive-throughs, all of the sales coming out of the suburban markets were gangbusters, and a lot of folks still have not returned to the major urban cores, uh, even though we're large in part you know, beyond the pandemic. So the suburban markets have been quite robust, and whether you're looking in and around the tri-state, the Long Islands, the Westchesters, parts of New Jersey, they rem- the retail there remains particularly strong, and we see pretty low vacancy rates. Um, some of the mall redevelopments are, are pretty interesting, and there's a lot of interest in repurposing the boxes. And where the retail may be antiquated, there's, there's major demand for, oddly or ironically, the uh, family offices that might be coming in and taking boutique office space. Medical is pretty significant as well, and um, you know, health and wellness and, and, of course, you know, other retail uses. Okay. with re- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go completely out of the district. What about uh, cannabis? So the cannabis space is interesting, and obviously the municipalities vary on their stance throughout the country. Um, in New York in particular, we recently opened the first uh, recreational dispensaries over the course of the last year. And there are many approved active groups making plays for real estate. So uh, a few things to consider when you're looking at cannabis deals is, uh, you know, obviously the restrictions by lenders have um, really hampered developers' ability to move forward with certain cannabis deals. I'd say that's probably been the biggest hindrance. So um, there's been a bunch of deals that have landed and opened. There's a huge pipeline and there are going to be a few coming up. We're working on one deal in particular. I can't speak to the address. It's actually, at least as we speak, in a, an extremely high-profile area. So cannabis is uh, it, it's in its infancy, but obviously it's a, uh, a phenomenal business, and we're going to see a lot more of it. Are any of the major landlords interested in cannabis, or is it the smaller landlord? So when you say major institutional landlords, obviously a, a lot Ur- of that. Urban Edge, you know, or Simon Properties or people in that case. So when you're a public company, I think it comes with a, a, a little bit of a more difficult approach to cannabis deals. CBD was an easy one for a lot of the, uh, you know, the mall folks to take on. There was a ton of CBD deals in some of those secondary and tertiary markets. But I think you'll see it open up. But there are major restrictions when you are, again, certain public companies and you have certain lender profiles. I think the, the cannabis space has large in part been capitalized on by smaller entrepreneurs. And I mean, like, you can go on First Avenue and every other block, you have a convenience store or a tobacco shop. Well, I mean, as far as that goes, there are also a lot of, um, there are a lot of vendors that are operating illegally. So you have to remember that as you walk around New York City and you see a tremendous amount of folks selling cannabis, know that 99% of that, are, those are not approved licenses. So it's a little bit of a different story, but I, I think over time, this is obviously going to be much more ubiquitous. And the investment profile of these deals is phenomenal. 
and there's a ton of runway, and we haven't even scratched the surface on the application. With like a minute left, who are the new players coming into town? Fred Siegel, you'd mentioned to me, some of the grocery chains. So, yeah, Aldi and Lidl have been making a big push into the city. Um, you've got in the fashion space folks like Viore. They opened up their first flagship here in Soho. Beautiful, beautiful store. Um, you've got a ton of wellness users. Um, you still see some of the more traditional players like TJ Maxx and all of their subsidiaries making a big play, especially with the Bed Bath & Beyond boxes coming online. But there's really a... Uh, what I think a, a bit of a unique time with digitally native brands, e-commerce brands, and newer concepts in general coming into the market to take uh, great space. And there's really no um, lack of demand in the better quality markets. With uh, like 30 seconds, let's talk about the Warby Parkers and the other, you know, who were online retailers who are sure. now going on retail. Warby still remains a darling of the industry. They're um, high, highly profitable. They continue their expansion. They're on the streets. They're in the malls. The um, the other players that you know you might typically talk about, whether it's the Caspers, the Outdoor Voices, which is one of our clients, um, you know, newer entrants to the markets like Roan. You've got e-commerce players remain and will continue to remain just based on the barriers to entry to open up an online store a major transition point and customer acquisition value online versus offline, you see a, a much higher bit of conversion and margin. So I'd like to thank my retail expert for being here, Jason Richter on the Stoller Report. Thank you once again for thank, being here. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see.